0: Welcome to Lawyer's Coach. Lawyer's Coach is a series of podcasts that aims to find out what makes lawyers tick. Each episode features myself, Claire Rayson and Oliver Hansard, both former lawyers and now coaches, interviewing a range of legal leaders to find out what success means and looks like in law. Lawyer's Coach challenges lawyers to think differently and be inspired by their colleagues and peers. In this episode, Oliver Hansard speaks to Natalie Salunke. Natalie is head of legal at RVU. She is also a committee member of O-shaped Lawyer. She speaks to Oliver about adding value as an in-house counsel, about bringing your strengths to the table, and how being a lawyer is not just about the technical, but also about mindset and soft skills. But of course, she starts by telling Oliver why it was that she chose law in the first place.
1: So it's funny, isn't it? Because I think the more you um, interview um, in-house or commercial lawyers, the more you realise how far they forayed from their initial um, you know, idea of what law was. So I think for me, it was definitely about sort of being uh, a justice in the world and actually being there to help I don't know, right the wrongs of the world, which I think is probably naive, but I think there's definitely an element of that that still lives true, despite me having this kind of city training contract and becoming a a corporate commercial lawyer. So it was definitely all about just wanting to give a voice to to what's wrong and right those wrongs.
2: So so how did you go about that? Where did you first get the idea of, of studying law?
1: Uh, is it sad that I, um, I guess, would have started to apply to university around the same time that Ali McBeal was massive on TV? Ah, one of so many. One of I'd, many.
2: I'd,
1: li- <laughs> I'd like to think that it wasn't the unisex toilets and breaking out into dances, um, you know... <laughs> I think the way that lawyers kind of carry themselves, they seem to have this view of the world that other people don't. And I think I was quite sort of interested in knowing a little bit more about what it was like to have a lawyer lens of the world and, you know, see risk and see opportunities sort of, you know, um, for justice in places that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily as a as kind of just a normal person.
2: And so you studied law at university?
1: I did. So I um, studied um, English law and French law at Kent um, so that had a year abroad studying French law at the University of Bordeaux.
2: And did you enjoy the study of law both in France and in, in England?
1: At first I remember thinking how am I is this ever going to click and I think the good news is it is it did um, but I mean did I enjoy studying it I think probably the first couple of years not so much and I think in my final year which would have been my fourth year I just relaxed a bit more And just thought, I don't want it to just be a ticking the box learning process. I actually want to, in my essays and in my exams, kind of explore things a little bit more. I think I've never been very good at kind of tick box learning. I think law degrees to some extent have to cover a certain, you know, curricula to get you to that kind of basic standard to be able to kind of be let out into the world. But whether or not actually doing a degree in law actually gives you any ability to practice law. I think they're two very different um, things.
2: So you weren't put off enough, shall we say, by studying the law. Then you went on to the LPC and then into your, your first job. Talk to me about those, those leaps from the academic study into, into actually practising law.
1: To me, I think a career in law, if you, if you kind of want to be the sort of city lawyer, I think one of the best places to do that is London. Um, and so there was never any kind of question about me coming to London. I think I wanted to do my LPC um there for a year first to get to know you know the 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 city because I'd never really spent much time in London so that when I started my training contract I'd feel a little bit more you know familiar as it were um and then while I was at Taylor Wessing um you know I was I, I was there for my training contract I think I started 2007 and qualified 2009 so that would have been when we had one of our lovely recessions on the back of um Um, all of the toxic uh, I think subprime mortgages that were being sold at the time Um, weirdly enough you know during my training contract I did quite a corporate heavy training contract um, private equity public institutions and markets but one of the seats that I did was in banking and rather than doing sort of mainly loan kind of agreements and facilities and that sort of thing I actually spent the majority of my time on mortgage portfolio sales which literally are the documentation that's required to package up a lot of these assets which we were you know very much talking about at the time and ultimately led to a big um, recession um, in the world um, so my final seat was in trademarks so that was quite fun but ultimately it was kind of very apparent by the end of my training contract that having done such a corporate heavy training contract and there being literally no jobs in the city Um, I think there were kind of trainee swaps between firms, but there was nothing on the open market other than one job at Red Law in intellectual property. I think that was literally it. Um, There was a bit worrying, really, and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And, um, you know, I wasn't. But still determined,
2: still determined to stay in the law at that point.
1: It was a difficult time and I wasn't really sure what there was that was going to be out there in the type of law that I wanted to do. So I actually did entertain a change of career to become an insurance underwriter. I actually did get down to the last kind of four for British Insurance and Chaucer. And I guess luckily for my legal career, um, I stumbled across a couple of jobs that were in-house. I think one was at Footsie and the other was at TravelX. And so the TravelX role was a three-month sort of temporary contract. And um, I just kind of took a chance at it and thought, if I can get this, I would love the opportunity. to to work in that environment
2: and how did you find that transition from from the law firm into the into business did you firstly I suppose did you feel like you were adequately trained as a lawyer to practice as a lawyer in a business
1: um I think the answer is no and I think I think when you haven't been kept on by a company or you've been let go by a company if we look at it that way it really does knock your confidence. And I don't think you should underestimate that. And I think, you know, we need to talk about it a bit more because it happens, it's happening to a lot of people in, yeah, in COVID at the time. Moment, yeah. So I guess going into to, to my role as an NQ, um, I was so worried that I didn't have anything to add or bring to the table that I thought, well, you know what, I need to justify why I'm here. and I need to show that I can actually add value. And if I can add value hopefully then the business will find me valuable and um you know the fact that i'm kind of picking up the law as i go along and i'm kind of trying to to kind of you know learn on the job almost um is you know something that um kind of started to drive me and drove my development um, and my career ultimately because i think you know taking even the most simplest tasks um i did kind of dissect them to the most basic level i remember one of the things it kind of you know it shows what sort of a geek i was then i remember saying to myself okay so most people leave at leave at 5 five thirty. if i do an extra two hours work every day i'm going to propel my growth such that, you know, I'll be so many more kind of months qualified than I would be if I just did my kind of nine to five. And that's how kind of worried I was. But I think it ultimately did pay off because I think it taught me a really good methodology, I guess, for dissecting or, you know, taking apart problems and really trying to provide solutions in a way that was backed by knowledge.
2: So are you able to recall the the difference in the style of working in-house versus private practice
1: i think being in private practice i didn't find particularly empowering i almost felt it was the opposite because i think there is a a certain structure in which you have to fit in and i remember a comment from one of the associates that i was working with when i was a trainee um who just you know i got who who didn't really like me because they basically thought i was a little bit too big for my boots and i think it's funny because you're being trained up as a law student you see all these people behaving a certain way you know, you, you, you think that you you get almost overtrained for something, and you think that you're going to be able to bring all your great ideas and all these all this intelligence that you've accumulated and that you are to the table. And ultimately, all you're doing is paginating a bundle, or all you're doing is changing two lines in a standard template. And I think it's quite disappointing as a as a as a law student, and therefore and then a lawyer, because you've got all this stuff you want to kind of give. But you can't always give it. So I think actually in in, in the in-house environment, I think there's more scope to actually bring all the value you can bring to the table. Because like anybody else who's there in the business, you're here to kind of make this commercial enterprise work. And so whether it's your legal brain or just you having some sort of common sense or something to bring to the table actually is something and is actually enough. I think in private practice, there was always that pressure that you are a lawyer, you do lawyer stuff. Whereas I think in-house, it's like, yes, you are a lawyer, but you're actually part of an ecosystem that's trying to create something that's got nothing to do with law. So you may bring your spectacles, your legal spectacles with you, and you're looking at the world with your risk kind of legal view, but you're there to kind of support the enterprise and doing what it needs to do and you know somebody you're speaking to in the business doesn't know if you're speaking as a lawyer or speaking with common sense or speaking as you
2: you're just you i think the inference of what you're saying is the private practice way of delivering legal services is is under the skills and talents of the, the fantastically bright people that are coming through the system
1: completely and i think it's so that that's that's the disappointment of, of law almost is that you know it should be so many things to so many people it's a shame that we've got all these really smart people in these like amazing offices that don't feel they can bring them their whole selves to work and i think this is what kind of you know gets me going is you know even in some companies where you're in-house you won't be able to do that because it really depends on corporate culture
2: so you're finding your feet at TravelX and move to vendor <laughs> Where you get your first leadership role in a legal function. Yeah. How was that? How was how was taking on the extra responsibility of leadership for you?
1: It was funny, it was absolutely petrifying because I was only <laughs> two and a half years qualified at the time. And actually back then, I think it's more common now you're seeing more startups um take on more junior lawyers, which is, you know, great, great for them because it's a it's great experience. And and it can be done because you know I did it and you know, the company, you know, survived. I didn't really do anything to mess mess it up. But I think I remember um, on the move from Travelex to to Vendor, having quite an off-the-record conversation with the um, existing GC head of legal going, look, um, I'm not sure I can actually do this. Um, you know, the, the, the job description seemed okay. But actually, <clears throat> from interview, it's a much bigger role than the job description really says. I just, don't, I'm not sure I can do it. And what was really kind was that the guy was like, no, you de- you can definitely do this. Otherwise, we wouldn't have interviewed you. And all the, you know, all the feedback we've got is really positive. So, you know, if if the CEO likes you, then, you know, he's, he's a seasoned businessman. You know, he's not going to take you on if he doesn't think you can do it. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to trust what I'm hearing here and I'll give it a go. And, you know, funnily enough, I think, you know, yes, OK. I didn't have all the experience of, you know, a seven year, 10 year PQE lawyer that, you know, you would have normally hired in that kind of role, but you kind of do learn where you have strengths and you bring those strengths to the table and where you've got weaknesses. You you try and learn and you try and plug those gaps. And, you know, I think we were looking to do a listing on AIM. Nobody had done a listing on AIM in the management team, so I was no less qualified than anybody else going through that process. Um, equally, when we eventually sold the business because the AIM listing didn't go too well, uh, I we didn't list in the end because we couldn't get the funding. Um, that was a a situation that none of us have been through before and you know I think yet again we put so much focus on our PQE I mean normal people don't know what PQE stands for yet when you're a lawyer that's what defines you and that's what yeah it's critical
2: yeah you're right yeah
1: yeah you get paid a certain amount because of your PQE or you can go for this job because you've got a certain PQE and to be honest you could be a really crap lawyer who's got 20 years experience or you could be a really great lawyer with five and you could probably do the same net effect on a job so it definitely should be more about what you can bring to the table experience I think is really good and really important but equally I think it's it's ability and a certain mindset that I think I hire and I respect in companies that hire in that way.
2: And how did that feel being the only lawyer in a leadership team?
1: I think I just got on with it I think that's all you can do I think it's 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 not trying to frighten yourself with you're being the lawyer in the room yet again, you're just, you're a person that's been hired to do a job and you've been chosen to be at that level. So don't be worried that you're not and just get on with it. And I think, you know, you are the only lawyer there. So you are bringing a unique set of skills that other people don't have as their focus. You know, one of the things that's really important at that level is to make sure you kind of leverage your network and have a really good group of people around you. Um, and I think that was something I built actually very early on from my days at Travelex was that networking piece and making sure you've got really good lawyers in the areas that you need them that you can call upon um, to help you.
2: And you've built legal teams on a few occasions. How do you approach doing that, building the right legal team for a business?
1: For me, it's about really understanding what you need. And I guess you need to understand what you've got before you know what you need. And that's the talent that you've already got, as well as, you know, listening to the business and the business needs and, and kind of form, you know, forming that opinion or in view. Um, so I guess, you know, that's probably the methodology. I think in terms of what I hire, I think I've already hinted that it's more based on mindset, that propensity to just want to do the right thing, that curiosity, that thirst for just trying to, appreciate and enjoy what you're doing because I think those are the people that tend to thrive to with me
2: and how about people who are prepared to take risks and maybe even dare I say it, as a lawyer make mistakes is, is that important to you
1: I think it's important that people are able to be honest about what they are and what they've done and I think you know people can make mistakes that's fine but you know come clean quickly and try and you know, come up with a way of sort of making it better and also learn from that mistake. Because if you keep making the same mistakes, then I don't, I don't have a lot of respect for that.
2: One of the things I know you're heavily involved in is the O-shaped Lawyer programme. Could you um, describe that for me and, and give a little background about how that programme came about?
1: The guy that founded it is, is a guy called Dan Kane, who's one of the um, general counsels at um, Network Rail. And it was actually based on an internal programme that they were running for their legal team. And I think, you know, one of the things that Dan had picked up on was that, you know, some some people still had the mindset that they were just here to be kind of great technical lawyers and weren't really engaging more holistically in the business. And so I think what then became almost a kind of behavioural training programme for his team has become something a bit wider because actually one of the things they recognise is that, well, you know, We're not really trained well as lawyers to kind of focus on these softer skills and behaviors and there's a lot that's put on you know really knowing the law and um not getting it wrong and that's all very well and i think you do have to be a good technical lawyer that's by the by but in order to be a really successful lawyer and also to make it a more interesting and better profession for everyone is actually kind of making sure that people are also human as well as lawyers so, you know, I think it was back in the summer of 2019, um, you know, Dan and I were at a conference, We was sort of having a bit of a chat, and I think, you know, so I think he'd sort of decided then we'll make it more of a movement. So, I mean, ultimately, in a corny way, it's to make the, the legal profession, be, um, you know, better place for everybody involved. And, you know, we want to show that, you know, with a with more of a, an emphasis on rounded individuals and a rounded approach, the formation of, of, of lawyers and legal professionals, um, Ultimately, its customers will have a better service and it will be a more diverse, inclusive and healthier environment. And actually it will keep the profession being or will project the profession back into a place where it will be seen as something that people want to be part of and not something that after a few years they want to to run away from. Um, So we've been doing a bit of research with um, the in-house community, general counsel, um, and um, we've been looking at sort of um, you know, private practice firms, law schools, universities, you know, all those sort of different kind of entry points for different kind of interactions with the training and development of lawyers. And we're looking at how we can sort of look at each of those kind of players in the legal kind of ecosystem, say, well, what can you be doing more to make this all those things that we've, you know, just described? And so we've kind of got this O shaped framework that talks about these different qualities that. You know um, a kind of skill and mindset based and behaviors that we you know we, we've we've done the research on that we all would sort of recognize that is actually important and so now it's a case of well how do we start to embed this into into the world of law be it at the law school kind of entry level or be it when you're kind of you know in private practice and you're interacting with your clients you know how should you be behaving to make those interactions more pleasurable more fun and ultimately, to make it a more sustainable sort of profession.
2: And are the law firms involved in the in the program?
1: Yes, they are actually. And so we're we're doing a bit of a um, kind of a pilot with a number of different law firms, where um, you know certain GCs are kind of piloting this sort of almost this sort of 360 degree feedback kind of process with their firms, um, and sort of assessing it against sort of a framework of behaviours and skills, so that. You know, it's showing how, you know, certain interactions rather than just looking at them, you know, in a very black and white sort of, you know, way, actually sort of overlaying it with these kind of ideas of these skills, behaviours, practices and sort of saying, well, could you have done that in a different way? Would you have achieved more out of having an interaction that, you know, had a bit more empathy in it?
2: And are you almost by implication saying to some of these law firms that, you know what, some of your behaviours aren't quite where they need to be?
1: I think so. and I think it's basically saying, look, you know, don't be afraid and give this a go. Um, and it's through like sort of experimentation and collaboration that, you know, hopefully the way that law firms interact with their customers can be reimagined a little and service delivery can be looked at in a different way.
2: So if you looked at where you are in the round and, and your career thus far in the lens of your desire for justice in the world as your, your goal at the beginning, how, how successful do, do you think you've been thus far?
1: <laughs> I mean, probably not as successful as I wanted to be in the traditional view is what, I guess, driving for justice means. I think I'm, I'm pretty proud of the um, sort of legal leader I've been, um, whether that's been the way I've managed my teams, the way I mentor people coming into the profession, the way I help colleagues and um, you know other professionals um, at at all levels in the profession and I think for me it's that kind of openness and that willing to share my successes and failures with others um, in that way to kind of hopefully propel the profession forward and therefore make it a nicer place for us all to be. Um, I guess I'd be pretty proud of myself for that but it's not quite the way in which I envisaged it but I think it's almost it's a fight for justice in law, which is, you know, are you, is, is the legal profession giving the right opportunities to the right people? Is it living up to what it should do? And I think the answer is it hasn't been. But if I can help influence that in some way, then I'll feel like there's some success there.
2: That's a valuable goal. Natalie, look, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks ever so much for coming on to The Lawyer's Coach. and um, Wish you well for the future.
1: Thank you so
0: much. That was Oliver Hansard talking to Natalie Salunke and Oliver joins me now. Oliver, fascinating conversation with Natalie and you can just sense the passion that she's got for everything that she does. But I just wanted to talk to you a bit about o shaped Lawyer because that for me is something that, you know, really for me, struck a chord. We hear time and time again that being a lawyer is not just about the technical, but really lovely to see a movement that is actually doing something about it and that's actually waving the flag for those soft skills and those mindsets that really move a lawyer from being just a good technical lawyer to a really great partner.
2: I think that's right. And I think what really struck me as I was talking to Natalie was the idea that the way in which we we have you and I have been trained, but we're still training lawyers is actually incomplete because we're not thinking about the softer skills, the behavioural skills, um, all those all those important skills that round us as individuals make us better people. It obviously will make us better lawyers, and a movement like the O-shaped lawyer, I think, is is long overdue. And um, it's really, really exciting to see it in existence and to see how it develops.
0: And I think what I take away from that, and the thing that has always concerned me, I guess, to an extent, is that when you start off on your legal career, the focus is all around the technical. It's all about what you're learning. It's about the law. You know, lots of things that, you know, I remember that I, I learned to, at law school you know were long long forgotten when you started off in the real world and you know it was almost a rite of passage to be able to start in a firm rather than something that you turned back on and and looked at and used and introducing those soft skills early on has to be right for me because i think if you put it up there in terms of importance with contract law with talk with whatever else it is that you're learning you have that appreciation for the needs to have that skill and you work on it throughout your career because I think what tends to happen is you kind of come across those soft skills later on in a career and and you know some people are open and embrace those but some people think well I've you know I've got this far without them um why should I need them
2: now (laughs) I think that's right and and how do you land those harder legal skills if you don't have the right behaviors around them and also how do you develop the really important things about promotion which can be you know management leadership networking business development all those sorts of things without you know those core behaviors so so yeah i think it, i think it's a big mess it's, it's something that um i know that some law firms and businesses do work on but i think it needs to to be championed really early on in training and at law school Absolutely.
0: And measured, perhaps, because I think maybe that's where sometimes these softer skills fall down. You know, you perhaps have training, but you use the knowledge that you've learned. Great. If you don't know, you know, no one really measures, you No one really picks you up. Um, you know, I wonder whether maybe that's something that firms need to think about.
2: I think that's absolutely right. Tough to do. But yes, if you can start to measure how one behaves in the softer skills just as well as you can in the harder technical skills, then I imagine there'll be greater uptake in that kind of training and development.
0: Thanks, Oliver. And for those of you that haven't come across O-Shape Lawyer before, we'd both really encourage you to look into it and to find out what they're about, because it's a really powerful movement, as, as Oliver has said. And thank you for listening. And we hope you join us for the next episode of Lawyer's Coach.
2: Lawyer's Coach is brought to you by Client Talk and Hansard Coaching. If you're enjoying this series, please rate us on your podcast provider so that others can find us. If you're a lawyer and would like to take part in Lawyer's Coach, please visit our website lawyercoach.co.uk for further details. And you can also join the conversation on our LinkedIn group, Lawyer's Coach. If there are any topics you'd like to hear us discuss, then just get in touch.